Welcome to the Ocean Cruisers podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking to Vernon and Marie from the YouTube channel Sailing Learning by Doing. Vernon comes from New Zealand and when he's not cruising the world's oceans, he is a photographer for Volcom, Red Bull and Quicksilver to name a few. Marie is from France and is currently hosting a podcast of her own called Au Monde Sans Ivière. We talk about their journeys across Asia, exploring remote islands, boat upgrades on Anchor, and about their new series out on YouTube, interviewing the world's first sailing vlogger, and showcasing his original footage from cruising the earth back in the 80s. You can learn about Vernon and Marie's adventures on their YouTube channel, Sailing Learning by Doing. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Well, Marie's only been with me on the boat this last year and then a short trip the year before. Um, I think this was my sixth season on the boat, hmm. but this was only really the second season I really sort of did the YouTube thing. You know, I've been putting out a few videos before that, but the last two years I've sort of been more regular. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and me, like, it was pretty new. I just tried three weeks last year and came back. No, it's 2019. Yeah, two years ago. Okay. Right. Okay. So so both of you actually traveling on the boat or, or like, cruising full-time is a relatively new thing together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, together, for sure. And uh, she'd never been on a sailboat before she came and joined me. And mm. I never been with a boyfriend, even in an apartment before being on a sailboat. <laughs> so that was pretty right, that's the, Yeah, that's a pretty big introduction to like a new person, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's take it slow or not. Let's just move on a boat together. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just, you know, like I don't hang out in marinas. So as soon as she got on board, uh-huh. we, we got out of there and then she had no choice. She couldn't get away anyway. You know, so. Yeah. I suppose if you really like a girl, it's a very good way to trap her. Just like, oh, yeah. you know, come come here, let's let's yeah, go yeah. on a boat and just sail off somewhere. She can't leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called kidnapping, but it's just a yeah, know. technically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was not really expecting to be not stuck in the bad way, but when we decided to leave, COVID just happened a few days after, so I just realized mm. I have no escape. So that was really different yeah. than what I was so, expecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely trapped in. So when when did you join Vernon? That was 2019 or 2020. She came for three weeks in 2019, just as right. a little tester. Yeah. And then we went back together and exactly this time last year. Yeah, like a year, a year ago now. Yeah. Oh yeah, so pretty much when it all started. Well, we went we had our tickets booked for sometime mid-April. And then I saw all this was starting to kick off in Austria. They were starting to close down in St. Anton and places like that. So I called her up. She was in Chamonix. And I said, well, if we want to get to the boat this year, we've got to go right now. So mm. we, um, she quit her job over the phone. I drove down to her, helped her pack up her apartment. And uh, yeah, two days later, we were in Zurich and on a plane and out of there. So we, we, we left on the 13th of well, March. 15th, 15th of 15th, March, I think, yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. much right, like yeah, pretty much now, yeah, yeah. So well, we got out of there really the cool day exit. before the, the the airports closed. You're so lucky because if you wouldn't have done that, you could have oh. been uh, your boat could have been there for a year. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Well, we could have got to Indo sometime in end of July. There was a loophole to get a business visa, 
Okay. Um, so we could have got back then, but yeah, it would have been a few months. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's crazy. Um, and so that, that period of time, so from April to when you left to go and do some work recently, you, that you, you were on the boat totally from that point onwards. So through the entire lockdown. Yep. Yeah. Until, what, um, yeah. Just before Christmas, we left the boat again in Lombok. Yeah. So we were there. And you got like a good cruising season out of it, really, I suppose, apart from like the restrictions and stuff, but you're able to go places. Yeah, the, in the first month, we sort of just hit out in a place called WAG. It's just no internet, no people, just sort of stayed away because we, we did two back-to-back quarantines and we were sort of sick of the whole thing, so we just went there. Mm. And then after that, we just decided to keep cruising pretty much as we'd planned. And we had a pretty good season. It wasn't like as free as normal, as in each new place we went to, we had to, you know, do some controls and some tests sometimes and things like that. And obviously in some places, locals weren't quite as um, friendly or as welcoming as, as they would have been the year before. But yeah. um, all in all, it was a pretty good season, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be I locked mean, down anywhere, it's a nice place to be. Well, yeah, down, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> we, we weren't locked down ever. We could still like go into town and do everything in every place. We just had to check in to each region sort of, you know, when we got there and sometimes do a test. But um, yeah, there was places where villages weren't very welcoming. Then we, you know, we'd pull up the anchor the next morning and leave. And then we found mm. a few villages that were more than welcoming because they hadn't had any foreigners come by. So they were actually really stoked to see us, you know. So it yeah, was yeah. Sort of, it was cool. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't as good. We didn't see any other cruises, for example. We had no social life at all. Uh, there was, you know, we know plenty of other people in Indonesia that stayed at anchor in the same anchorage. Well, they're technically still there now, you know, like they didn't move. They didn't trust from a health standpoint, from a, a legal standpoint that they were allowed to move. So they're still yeah. there. They've been there a year. And I mean, it's hardly jail they're in tropical paradise and go snorkeling and all that sort of stuff but, <laughs> it's not that bad but yeah but considering that you know like we got a pretty good season and we visited amazing places and met amazing people and and went you know halfway through indonesia so it was pretty pretty cool yeah that's really yeah i mean you made you made the most out of it for sure um mm-hmm. right okay marie so the, just from your perspective you did like three weeks on a sailboat and then was that enough? You just decided, okay, I'm I'm just gonna like shoot off to Paradise, Indonesia with Vernon and spend <laughs> the rest of my life on this boat. Like uh, what went through your mind? Yeah, there? yeah. Like during these three weeks, there were like something so yeah, some stuff I did on the boat I didn't do since I don't know, so many years. I was really at the feeling to be a kid again, having mm. time and not feeling guilty to do something else than work and I think for the last 10 years I was always on projects on something so yeah when he proposed to me he was thinking that that was the first thing when I came back at home I had no idea if I can go back on the boat because I was like but well, maybe you're gonna think <laughs> like wow what a crazy girl I don't want to <laughs> so yeah, was I was you. like not really <laughs> asking for it <laughs> But when he told me like he was feeling okay and he was thinking it can be a good idea to trying to do more, I was super, super Mm. excited. But yeah, I was kind of worried. And I was thinking if I was not comfortable to stay, I can go back to my normal life. It was not the case, but that was how I 
talking about it. <laughs> That's got to be like the most intense introduction into a relationship ever. <laughs> like without a doubt. You know, like usually you meet someone and then you spend a bit of time together and you see how it goes. But to like beyond, I think you, your boat is like 38 foot, is it? Or 40 foot, something like that? 37. 37 <laughs> foot. That's yeah. that extra foot. I missed that. That would make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, to go yeah. for it like that. But it's clearly worked because you did the three weeks and now you've yeah. done like the season during the COVID and, uh, yeah. you know, you're happy and you're in France. So uh, it was yeah. a test and it worked. Yeah. Well, I keep threatening her like... Uh, that I'm just going to put her in the dinghy and tow her behind the boat until she <laughs> yeah, stops yeah. whinging sometimes, you know, just drop some water. And, and, and it seems to have worked because she's been really nice and um, and hasn't had to go in the dinghy yet. No, no, no. <laughs> no, and I was quite surprised. Like, I never really regretted. Like, just when we start to understand it was not possible to go back, it was quite hard, but it was more about the whole situation, about the lockdown. But... Oh, I do miss your family. Yeah, yeah, I'll say. Yeah, yeah. that, yeah. But well, yeah, for the rest, like, together was okay, really. What was it like being there? Because, I mean, obviously, like, it's a beautiful place. And it, it I, I don't know if, if you could say you were trapped, might not be the right word, but you were essentially because you couldn't leave. Was it, was it still enjoyable? Because you're in, you're in a location that's, like, so beautiful and pretty. Um, you, you, islands, coral reefs, snorkeling, that type of stuff. But then you can't go back and see your family. And then I suppose for you, Maria, it was a really new experience as well, because it's the first time you've like been on a sailboat and been in remote places, whereas Vern's been doing it for years. Um, was it? Could you still enjoy it? Like, could you still enjoy the small moments of you know going visiting a new island when you have that in the back of your mind? Oh, actually, we can't leave. Mm. The things it was all about connections. Like when we were in Wyag without internet, like I never really felt guilty and I didn't really think about it because it was easy to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and download the, the audio on moment. Apple Podcasts. And but Spotify. yeah, when you have people at phone and especially you know they are leaving things new, like you don't really know what's going to be the future for everyone. Mm. Yeah, that was quite hard to really enjoy the start of the of the travel like I was really not in what we were doing I was always with my thoughts thinking of what's happening at the other side of the world yeah, yeah. plus plus if you sort of <clears throat> I mean in a normal year you know that if something happened to the family to me or, or her within 24 hours mm -hmm. you could be back right yeah of course yeah um Whereas this year we couldn't have been, mm. but you, you only sort of think about it when you don't have it anymore, right? Like I, I don't think about that in a normal year and this year you're just sort of stressing about it, but it doesn't mean anything's going to happen anymore, but it's just one of those sort of things that you, you don't really uh, appreciate that you can be anywhere in the world within 24 hours in a normal time. And then now you sort of, you can't, so you worry about it more, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean anything bad is going to happen, but. Yeah. I suppose it's one of those like securities that you don't really utilize that much anyway. Like I think the, the only time I've ever, you've always got it in the back of your mind. Okay. If I need to be somewhere late notice, I can be there. I've, I think my mum got sick when I was, I think like 24 or 25. And that's the only time I've ever actually booked a flight and been like, okay, I need to go tomorrow morning. And then I book it. Yeah. And go. Um, but yeah. apart from that, I've never actually needed to do anything like that. So yeah. hmm. probably wouldn't yeah. need to. You take it for granted a bit too. It wasn't, you know, it's only been, what, 
40 to 50 years maybe where you can just fly around the world in one go, you know, like back then it's, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you often wouldn't make someone's funeral. I mean, I can't talk from, but you know, back then you obviously, you wouldn't make someone's funeral because it takes you five days to travel there. So it's just the way it is sort of thing. Whereas now you sort of have to yeah. be, you can be anywhere you want at any time, but yeah, this year you, you couldn't really do that. But, and yeah. yeah, we still can't. So. Well, what was it? What was Indonesia like in general? Because you still got to experience a lot of its like nicest uh, locations, I suppose. Like, and, yeah. and, it's, and it's one of those areas where, especially like with people on YouTube who are sailing, it's not a common cruising ground, or no. it is, but not for people who, who you generally find on there. I mean, it, it looks stunning. I, I've been there personally, not sailed. I've just been there for uh, yeah. for a holiday. Um, but what's it like well, to I sail mean, around? I mean, most people. Not sailors, but most people who have heard of Indonesia really don't know anything apart from Bali, right? And then yeah. you get you get surfers, some of them who know of the Mentawais or Lombok or Sumbawa, places like that. But I mean, most people, if you say Raja Ampat or West Papua, they wouldn't know that that's part of Indonesia. Mm. Um, generally, in Indonesia, on the coastal places that we visit, uh, small fishing villages you know the biggest cities are normally more inland or or they're big harbors and we don't go there so sort of similar to here in Europe as well the whole COVID experience is definitely um, more sort of well sickness wise but also people reaction wise is is way more violent in uh, in the cities you know where there's more people yeah. there's more it, people are close together it's where curfews and shop clothing are clo closings affect more people so you go to small towns here or small towns in indonesia and generally people are way more relaxed they sort of can, they sort of know that well no one's sick in our village so i guess we're good so they just they're a bit more relaxed you know whereas in the city you're, you're meeting technically so many different people that you really don't know what the effects are or if there are any effects but you're still scared of it sort of thing whereas mm. the people we were meeting in general it got better you know in april for example people were freaking out like you know we were told <laughs> it was a it was a white person disease so obviously we were the safe <laughs> ones and yeah. back then the virus was a really good swimmer and so we weren't allowed to go in the water because they were scared it was going to leave our bodies and swim through the ocean and climb up on their beach and attack the village sort of thing so that was the first reaction but it got more mellow as as they realized well no one's died in our village no one's been sick in our village so you know so there were some places where they were like whatever you know no, even like for me indonesia it's not really like a country it's so many islands yeah. with so yeah, yeah. many different ethnies and origins and they, they all have so many ways to deal with these kind of things like even medicine or being angry or friendly like it was really different in every islands but in general yeah. they were almost all okay with that just yeah. the first months but i think it was everywhere in the world yeah yeah what, what was what was the country like in general for you as like a, a new travel destination because both both of you travel then and you've been you know all over the world so many countries uh, what was it like in general as just somewhere to visit you know the people the food uh, the different towns villages what was it like well I mean I love it um Oh, Indonesia that from east to west is uh, the more west you go the more populated it becomes mm. um, I'm, the reason I bought my boat was to go to remote places where there are no tourism and you know 
where yeah. your own boat means you can get there. So for me, the more west I go, the sort of less is less interesting it is for me. Hmm. To a certain extent, it has been really cool around Lombok, but I, and I, I like the smaller places. Um, I love it. The people are amazingly honest, amazingly welcoming. Um, to the east, more Rajampada around that end, it was more Christian uh, religion. I mean, th yeah. these countries are all very religious, right? You don't get any yeah. any villages that aren't religious. They're either one thing or the other. So uh, now where we're getting to, it's more, it's, well, it's totally Muslim, basically, apart from Bali, obviously, it's Hindu. But, um, so it's a bit of a different feeling, but um, oh, I love it. I love it. The places are great. I love the food. Um, the people are amazing. The food was better at the end of the trip. Yeah, true. That, In yeah. Papua, it's really, like, simple. Yeah. Like, it's mm. not, not good, but not really yeah. different dishes. Yeah. So that was more towards the tourist sense. The food got a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, obviously, especially for us in the groceries, you could buy more things yeah. towards, you know, you get places, you know, you get supermarkets in Lombok that sell things that you can't even get here, you know, like because mm. you get Australian products and English products, you get a bigger mix, you know, so it's yeah. really good. And then, in, you know, in, uh, in Papua, you're stoked if you can get a one sort of yogurt, like just one yogurt, you know, or a cheese. Any yogurt. You know? Yeah. I mean, most places there don't have fr uh, freezers or refrigerators, refrigerators in their supermarket, so you don't get anything yeah. that's dairy products, for example, or whatever, or bread. You don't get bread. Uh, just maybe white toast bread that lasts forever, sort of, you know, yeah. like that hardly call it bread sort of thing. Whereas in Lombok, there's bakeries. You can get proper, proper, you know, European bread and, and baguettes yeah. and, get, and all sorts of things, but um, the local you know, food is definitely more more spiced and more flavorful as well. You know, the more west you get, because they just got they just use their spices more, and I guess they've they've got more of a mixture of cultures. Whereas in West Papua, it's really you know a lot of taro and just really like starchy sort of things, and they don't really salt or pepper or put any sort of spices i mean they put chilies and everything but everything there's not much other taste you know yeah but i'm pretty yeah. sure it's also with the equatorial weather like they can't really yeah make growing yeah. so many things there yeah and stuff would just get moldy like super quick because it's yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. so it's so humid yeah. yeah so so humid what well, one of the um oh, it was stunning like one of the most fascinating things i think you put on a video was the um the seaweed farms or seagrass farms. oh yeah yeah, they were stunning. Weird, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, did Did you eat any of that after no. it was dried? No. It, what What is it they were actually growing right. there? Was it just like the normal sea, like the crispy seaweeds that you get um, in like Asian uh, restaurants? I think there was quite a few different varieties in there, to be honest. But the stuff we saw coming in that they were collecting was sort of like spongy, like cabbage kale sort of looking stuff, you know. And I guess. Yeah. It probably gets crushed into powder, maybe. I'm not I'm really sure. sure yeah. 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 I mean, the seaweed I've eaten in Japan is, you know, that's not that sort of seaweed. But then, the, you know, the, the seaweed uh, leaves that you, I mean, the, the, the flat ones, the flat yeah, ones the flat. that you roll the sushi in, for example, I'm pretty mm. sure that's just powdered seaweed that they squash and make yeah, yeah. thing out of. Like processed. It could, be, it could be the same thing. Uh, we talked to the locals there a little bit, but that's the other funny thing in Indonesia, like guys that collect pearls or guys that do seaweed or guys that do other shark fins, they have no idea what the next step of the process is. They just yeah. 
farm it and then some guy comes and buys it off and they don't know that it goes to japan or anywhere they don't know what it turns mm. into they don't use the product themselves either you know they just grow it because someone wants to pay them for it but um it was pretty cool that was in Lembongan, which is in between lombok and bali um and i looked on google earth and zoomed in on that same spot and there was about three little squares of seaweed there and and there's no way to know on google earth well i don't know uh, when the Google Earth picture was taken. Yeah. But compared to how it is now, because of COVID, there's no tourism and they're all just farming seaweed in there. It's the only income. The whole yeah. bay is there's, there's not one square meter that's not farmed right now. And on Google Earth, there was nothing. So obviously, you know, they were working in tourism then. So it was pretty interesting to see that. Yeah. Well, it's funny you said that because when I watched that video, it's the first thing I did. Uh, I went straight on Google oh. Earth. <laughs> I didn't want to, what I did, I wanted to have like a bird's eye view. So I was like, oh, I want to yeah. see how big this area is. And there was hardly anything there. So I was going round and around trying to find these seaweed farms and I couldn't find them. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I came to the conclusion afterwards. I was like, oh, that's probably, probably the case. That's probably yeah. what's happened. Um, yeah. That, that was, that was, that was the stunning. first place we've seen that. Well, I haven't seen it anywhere else. To yeah. I've never seen it. Like, I've been, but so many places in asia i've i've never seen anything like that i was going oh not to that scale anyway you see uh yeah. smaller versions of it but not where yeah. it's just like a huge area filled oh, with it was, really, it really incredible yeah. um yeah. this this funeral that you went to as a tourist um <laughs> this is a bit different like a tourism or funeral tourism i suppose yeah. what what religion was that that's hindu um, ah right but in, that's... in Lombok, yeah, in Lombok, there's a city called Mataram, well, the main city, and there's a sort of an enclave of Hindus that all live together there. And I think mm. they came over from Bali as workers back in the day, and they've all sort of stuck. And now it's quite a big, well, like a suburb. Well, no, it's in the central city, but it's I don't know, it's maybe ten blocks or something. It's quite quite a few thousand people live there. Right. They all sort of stick together. Yeah. yeah, that's it's a Hindu. I've never been to one. I didn't know that they burned their bodies straight straight there. I got quite a few yeah. people on YouTube saying, "Oh, I wish you'd warned us that it was going to be. You should have put a warning up." <laughs> no, yeah. it was like I've um, I've never seen anything like that. Well, no, I mean you know that when you get cremated, you know the body gets burned, and that's pretty yeah. regular. Um, but the way the guy was just like smoking a cig and like you know. Prodding around. Prodding around of it. It was just all the legs popped out. Just, yeah. you know, just stick it back in yeah. there. I was like, oh, oh my word, what's going on? <laughs> spraying oil on there to, you know, to get it yeah, yeah. a bit more. <laughs> yeah, just like a full bottle of kerosene, just like yeah, squirting yeah. it straight on there. Yeah. I thought your yeah. attitude was great towards that because you said on the video, you were like, oh, you know, I was speaking to this really nice guy and he invited me to a funeral. And I said, sure, I'll go to that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a really positive way to look at it. <laughs> Well, I mean, as a, I don't know, you you can't but help get a pretty good video out of that, right? Because yeah, yeah. And for me, I'd never seen that. And I mean, you were... I mean, I was not really keen. Like we partied the day before and I, in the morning I was feeling like a bit dizzy and I was like, I'm not sure I want to see that because they were already explaining a bit the day before how it's going to be. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want to be there. <laughs> I think you yeah. and the majority of the planet have probably aligned <laughs> with, that, with that way of thinking. Yeah. There, yeah. there was one bit when it was, um, I don't know what they were doing, but there was all this smoke coming up. Yeah. And I was like, that's just like dead person smoke. Like, did, yeah. did the whole area not just stink of corpse? Well, that's what everyone asked, what it smells like. And it wasn't, 
I mean, obviously when they first put the body on fire, you know, you get the hair, you smell that hair a little bit, but that goes mm. away pretty quick. And then it just smells like a, a barbecue after that. It doesn't <laughs> smell like a human. And it doesn't smell any different than a barbecue, to be honest. But Like, like a, a regular rotisserie chicken or something like that. Yeah, but bigger, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Six foot. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't smoking in. I, I, when I was doing the video, I was sort of tempted to, to narrate it or put some subtitles on actually what was going on. And then I was like, ah, people probably don't want to know the actual details. But that part of it was quite interesting. So basically, they, they burn it all down, burn the body all down until it's gone. And then they were pouring quite a lot of water on, and that was all steam coming up. Yeah, so and then yeah. they pull a bit of corrugated iron out, and what's left over is just the bigger pieces of bone that didn't burn, right? Mm. And so that's what they're collecting and putting in these little baskets, and then washing water over and stuff. And then they all get like oh. the whole family crowds around and grabs pieces of bones, and they get to keep a few bits of bones each. I guess that's what happened. So they had a bunch of baskets full, and then they carried them and did a couple of laps of the cremation zone and then yeah then they walked out on the road and back to the house and then all those bits of bones got put on a in front of the next um i don't know what you call them in hindu like the next like the priest or whatever the guy that was doing the thing he was blessing all these baskets of bones and stuff and then afterwards i guess i don't know maybe it's similar to you spread the ashes maybe they spread the bones or maybe they keep them in the house afterwards i didn't didn't get into those sorts of details it was a really long day too like we went and mm. well we were, yeah we were partying a bit in the night before and then we were on Air and they had to catch a boat over to the mainland rent a scooter and drive two hours and then we we're a bit late and i don't know it was a full-on full-on day of uh, all this so i was just filming as much as i could and but it was it was awesome i'm stoked i you know yeah it was actually really interesting i mean i my all all i do in my spare time is watch documentaries and i've never seen anything like that (laughs) it was was very educational yeah Yeah. but i think that must be be something just with those just with the people on that island or because i I, i've I've worked in the middle east for a long time i've got a lot of friends who are hindu i've never heard them speak about funerals the way that was conducted no but the day before the, the guy was invited us tell us that was a lombok hindu kind of yeah. ceremony so oh, i think right, they okay. are each they will yeah, yeah they are interpreting the rules all mm. the they want and yeah yeah i can do that we'll just turn on another light it's getting a bit dark here. yeah yeah fine yeah let's just look at my time is it of course so yeah i suppose it's getting dark oh yeah but you're you're yeah, a bit it's... higher altitude as well aren't you yeah yeah that's looking good yeah Mm. cool um all right i think just just to take it back a a little bit uh just with with your particular story vernon when did you decide to buy a boat live on a boat and just sail around the world Uh, when when did that decision take place Um, i think 2000 16 i bought a boat um okay. the year 2013 i had a really really big uh hard year i i produced and photographed a a, a movie for uh, red bull media house and we were just traveling six months like just really two weeks japan and then directly to vancouver's two weeks snowmobiling there and then like it was just full on no stopping and so then I had a couple of weeks holiday in uh, Hawaii in the summer after that sort of filming session was finished. 
and it was the first time I'd really just sort of taken a break for a few years and um, had a little bungalow on the North Shore in Oahu and uh, sort of just watching turtles and just sailing boats go by and the smell. I don't know, just I grew up on the beach in New Zealand, you know, so it was the first mm. time I was really like, wow, I need to get back to the ocean a little bit, you know. I've just been in the mountains since my late teens, basically, and uh, it just sort of struck me. And so I started Googling what, you know, things like that. And I came across Dallas, you know, that was back then. They were just coming across the Pacific. Yeah. And um, so it sort of sparked a little interest in me. So I started looking around a bit more and, and I thought, well, it could work good because I work, I can break my year into two, you know, like I can do yeah. the winter season for Volcom snowboarding and then um, go on a boat for six months. So I was like, oh, it could work out really good. So I gave myself a five-year plan of um, to, yeah, maybe research it more and maybe buy a boat, maybe do some, le- or maybe do some lessons and then buy a boat that way around. And then the next year, 2014, I uh, had a contract to do some work in Australia and I was over there for a month and on the days I wasn't shooting, I decided just to look around marinas and like look what sort of boats were for sale and what a, what a 40-foot boat looked like or what was the difference between a 35 and a 40-foot or, you know, I'd just... I've just been looking online, basically. Mm-hmm. So just basically kicking tires, you know, in the car lot, basically, sort of thing. And um, yeah, and yeah, after a month of looking at five or six boats, I just bought one. I was just like, oh, this just feels right, and I was, seemed like I got a good deal. So I just bought a boat, and um, yeah. So I'd never sailed a day in my life. <laughs> just decided to go <laughs> for it, and uh, yeah. This is what you call learning by doing, yeah. Yeah, that's learning yeah. by doing. Yeah. <laughs> Buy it, then load it. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty good first boat, you know. It was a SNS seventy, an old, you know, made in nineteen seventy four, and uh, full keel. You know, you couldn't really damage it. Pretty stubby, short mast, not big sails, pretty slow. But it had a yeah. brand new fifty horsepower Yanmar in it. That was the selling point for me, you know. Yeah. Um, I sort of figured if I can't sail it or if things get out of control, it's still a good motorboat, you know. Like yeah. it's just go along pretty good with a motor so yeah that's what I did and I spent a couple of seasons just sailing up and down between um where I bought it in Brisbane and then the far north of Australia hmm. um just pushing myself a little bit each time you know like doing an overnight sail or going out in 20 knots instead of staying in in 20 knots sort of thing yeah and, um yeah just just pushed it a bit more a bit more a bit more and then I decided that it was you know I learned enough to start going offshore sort of thing yeah and um did that on this old boat got halfway to the solomon islands and then the the front fell off <laughs> the, <Yeah. laughs> the broke a little bit so um sailed back to australia and sold that boat so i lost confidence in a little bit the hull was flexing a lot in the big ocean swells so i was okay. like even before the the rig broke i um was sort of like oh i don't know if this is the right boat for my future you know mm. so i went back in, to australia and um sold it and then uh, I managed to find the boat I have now and I was super super lucky to find that and I'm really really happy and proud to proud to own that boat it's a real yeah it's an amazing boat, boat and, yeah it's a lovely boat and uh, it was double what I had my budget you know but the guy was super super cool and um, I think sensed that I had some some plans for his boat and uh, yeah he was really nice and gave it to me for the for what I had you know and, um, were you intending on getting a boat like that because you went from like a full no. keeled old school yeah. you know yeah. boat which is uh, you know incredibly heavy doesn't go anywhere that quick and you've yeah. gone for the complete opposite of that really <laughs> yeah 
No, it, well, it, I mean, to be honest, I hadn't even looked at boats like that because they weren't in my price range at all, you know? Yeah. Um, I was at that marina looking at three or four other boats and nothing had really sort of tickled my fancy. And then I walked past this one and the lines of it and just how... Well, that's just, gorgeous. Well, that's, yeah, can I just have a look at it? Mm. And the guy was like, yeah, well... The, the first the broker was like yeah well it's pretty expensive and i was like yeah but can i just put my head in and have you know i just want to see what this sort of boat looks like and i looked around i was like wow this thing looks amazing and he's like well most people who look in it you know they look at it and go like well that's amazing then they look inside it and go like well i don't want it or the the, the female part of the couple normally looks inside it and goes i don't want it that was how it normally worked out because it was bare bones it was a race boat you know it was uh, mm. had pipe bunks and things like that and you know and, uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a race boat that looks pretty comfortable inside. I mean, it's got everything. It's spacious. Yeah. It's got headroom. Um, yeah. Really well designed, considering how fast it goes. Or it, like really yeah. well designed from an interior perspective as well. Yeah, I've made quite a few changes to to make it a bit more livable for sure. But yeah, yeah headroom wise, I was amazed that because you look at it from the outside, it doesn't look like that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have it doesn't have anything under the floor. That's why it's got headroom. You know, it doesn't have a bilge or anything. It's flat yeah, on the bottom, and then so the floor is just right down so you know like that's why it's got headroom but um everything's built with the center of gravity being very low you know so it's yeah done that on purpose but yeah i was incredibly lucky and as soon as i got that i was like right now i'm ready to now i'm ready to set off you know yeah um i changed the rig the standing rigging and um put bigger solar panels bigger batteries uh, yeah, fiberglassed in some beds and stuff in the back, and I don't know some yeah. other bits and pieces. Like bought a few spares and longer anchor chain. Like just made it more cruise worthy, you, you know, cruise yeah. worthy and stuff. And you, uh, you put you put it in. You, uh, you put the videos on of the, the DIY stuff that you did. You did a really good job, especially with the uh, the berths at the back with uh, building the um, beds in. You did a really good job. There. Oh yeah. yeah, cheers. I don't really like filming stuff like that. I don't really never put much effort into that stuff to be honest. All right, okay. Like, well, it looks really yeah. good, so yeah cheers people always say oh you have to show this and that and i'm like ah i just i mean i don't you know i, I do all the diy stuff myself but for me that's the working part you know like i mm. i want to be enjoying the boat and for me that's using and not working on it so i just want to get yeah. the jobs done as quick as possible and if if i have to film everything it takes me double as long to get the work done so i'm always like ah yeah 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 but anyway yeah. right so for like with this boat for example you you love it you're really happy with it and you've lived on a boat before so you understand like you knew what was coming you were you were gonna understand you know how to live on it anyway so like marie from your perspective uh being you know like a land-based mammal um then to moving on this boat what is, what was your what's your reaction to it yeah that's a good question uh i think i had no idea of what was other boats or what was other comfortable places so i didn't even ask myself if it was good or not i really realized when i visited some other boats that there were like other way of living aboard but mm. i think i really not questioning when i arrived on this boat maybe the first time i visit you i had maybe 20 minutes a bit of claustrophobia yeah but just because it was new but after that mm. no i really feel it like my nest <laughs> <That was Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you like it that could have been a defining moment you maybe you found out she yeah. would have hated your boat <laughs> well i mean she picked it up pretty quick she realized really 
didn't have to explain to her twice that you, you know, you got to look after your water, for example, you know, but then yeah. I've got a foot pump on the fresh water, so you can't leave taps on on my boat sort of thing. Mm. Um, still trying to teach you how to clean, keep things clean, but apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where did That's you guys meet? Because you were, uh, like Vernon, you live on the other side of the planet. You live on a completely different hemisphere uh, and, and you travel. Where, where did you actually meet? No, well, I've been based in Europe since... 1997 I mean I'm a Swiss citizen as well side. and uh, sort of in Switzerland so I was in Chamonix doing a photo shoot mm. and I actually had a photo exhibition like a one-night photo exhibition in Chamonix and okay. uh, yeah I met her there yeah oh nice cool and so uh, Vernon as I mean so, so to I suppose like fund the life of like traveling around the world you are doing photography video shooting and it's mostly for uh is it mostly for snowboarder or is it just like extreme yeah. winter sports in general it's um my niche has sort of become over the years snowboarding yeah, yeah. um I don't film for that sort of stuff I only do stills stills photography I've only started filming and editing since I've been doing the boat videos that's why they started off crappy and they slowly might be getting to medium quality. Um, yeah. They're actually good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Like the editing I had, I learned from scratch, you know, um, filming. Technically it's not that much different than photography, apart from you need to get a lot more footage, you know, with a photo I can go out and if I get an absolute cracker of a photo one day, well, that's job done. You know, you've mm. got the defining moment. Whereas as a filmer, you can't just get one good clip and then yeah. you've got a video, you know, you've got to have B-roll, you've got to have background, you've got to have sound, you've got to have so much like filler content to show that one good clip sort of thing. So that's been a bit of a learning experience. I was sort of out of instinct. I'll look for that amazing shot and I'll get it. And then I'll go to edit and I'm like, oh, well, I don't have anything to, it. you know, like what do I do now sort of thing. So that's been the learning part, but yeah. Um, my job is just stills, yeah. I've worked for, I've had a contract as Volcom's uh, staff photographer, team photographer since 2006 now. Oh, so it's just a yearly thing, but it, they keep inviting me back. And um, yeah, that's been my stable and uh, my staple. And then they, with that contract, they just buy first rights to my time, basically. Mm. So if they don't need me, then I go and shoot for uh, Quicksilver or Roxy or you know whoever it is i've shot for audi or Qantas or you know all sorts of commercial yeah. people um but volcom's been my my sort of anchor point for the last 15 years now i'm very very right. grateful to them for sort of keeping me on and um i've got a good relationship with a lot of people and uh, you know some of their team riders that i've shot with you know I, they were 15 when they first became pro and I've shot with them through their whole career and that. So it's pretty, pretty cool. And I've got really contacts nice. and buddies all over the world, you know, like we shoot everywhere, the snow basically. So yeah. Pretty, yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. How did you get into that niche? Did you start off in photography or did you start off in, on, on the snow? Like, or, or... No, uh, I'd never snowboarded before. I was a photographer before I was a snowboarder. Right. Okay. Um, I just picked up a camera uh, when I was backpacking. When I, when I left New Zealand and then I worked in Formula One in England for a year mm. and then uh, moved to Switzerland and then saw snowboarding for the first time and realized 
that they were having a lot of fun. You know, back then that was in the sort of mid nineties and snowboarding, you know, they were like rock stars and making millions and partying and wasted half the time and had hot chicks and it was just and you I was just like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well this these guys are having fun. I want to work with these guys instead of shooting yeah. in Formula One where everyone's just, you know, so I don't know, it wasn't that wasn't fun to shoot in that, you know. You're mm. never part of it. You're always an outsider, you know, whereas in yeah, the yeah. it's a world, different society yeah. with that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in snowboarding people the, the pro athletes live from making films and a lot of them you, you you can go the competition route or you can go the film and photograph route you know so mm. so it's it's in their best interest to work together as a team to try and get the best image so you know we might wait till sunset whereas if you're a footballer or a swimming photographer or anything else you just go and document the game that's happening at that time regardless you know and you've got no input with the players on what's going to look good or not you just go there yeah, and document what they're doing whereas i get to talk with them and do the right trick or at the right time or you know like we can work together to make a perfect image you know so that's what interests me a lot in that yeah that's really interesting yeah that's really that's really cool would just um, i mean taking that into account like for example the way you work and sail and travel at the moment you've got the winter season where you can fill up most of your time with your work because your work is based around the snow i suppose you'd be pretty limited if you were to travel to a different location where you would be sailing during the winter and you couldn't sail during the summer um mm. because we could, yeah. so where i mean i don't know they're probably just more in the southern hemisphere i suppose oh uh, yeah pretty much uh, i mean that's why i sort of bought the boat in australia to begin with because hurricane mm. season when no one really goes sailing in the north is uh exactly when I want to be in the snow anyway you know so yeah. that's why it worked out perfectly and then I sort of figured well if you go up around the equator there is no hurricane season really so you're fine in, you know like in Indonesia you've got different trade wind directions each half of the year but there's no hurricane season as such so that doesn't really matter up there and the Solomon Islands either it's not that big a drama yeah the more difficult thing is finding somewhere to leave the boat um, that's safe and yeah. secure for six months when, when we go away you know yeah, but, um, when you're doing you know, you sort of plan that in advance, and it, it works out. Yeah. Yeah, and Marie, what what do you, uh, what do you do? Are, are you so you're like working similar times to Vernon, and then the idea is to go back to the boat at the same time. Uh, yeah, but yeah, when I quit everything before, like this year, I, I went back and I I worked for my own project. I'm actually working on a podcast about our travel, but a French version. Oh, nice. A more feminine version. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but it's not to say it's better or not, but it's more about feelings than actions. Right, okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, like really this winter I was full on this, but before that I was working in communication and radio. Right, okay. I suppose this has been like the worst year as an example to have to like go back and do some work because that was just yeah. pretty yeah, impossible. Yeah, but yeah. I even not really tried to yeah. find something for a few months because I was already mm. knowing it's going to be complicated and yeah. 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 And to be honest, we weren't even going to come back uh, to Europe this year, you know, uh, well, end of last year. Mm. Up until November, we, we just planned to stay on the boat and do a full, you know, just keep on going, you know. Yeah. Um, YouTube channel and together with my patrons, it sort of made it possible that we could keep 
just keep making videos and we were earning enough, you know. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Volcom, sometime mid-November, Volcom hit me up and said, oh, we'll offer you another contract. And I was really, really surprised. I thought, wow, COVID's not really going to be done, you know. Like, mm. it's, it's not like this year. For me to do my job properly, it's nearly impossible because to do my job properly, I've got to be able to go to look at a weather report and go, okay, it's going to snow a, a meter in Japan, right? Tomorrow I'm on a plane or, you know, Norway or Alaska or wherever. And this year, it's, you can't do that. So, yeah. um, you know, there's no point going somewhere having to do a week's quarantine when you get there because then there probably might have rained in between. The snow's no good anymore and you go home again. So I was really surprised that they offered me another contract. But after thinking about it for a while, we were like, well, mad not to take this, this contract while it's still there. Yeah. Um, she really wanted to see her family I wanted to see I've got family in Switzerland too uh, my passport was run out uh, you know I needed a new Swiss passport there was multiple things that just made sense to come back and yeah so we did but it was a quite a last minute decision and mm. because of that she didn't have any time beforehand to sort of arrange work even I don't know if there would have been much possibility but you know yeah but I mean it's, it's worked out okay we just you know like big fingers crossed that Indonesia opens in the next month or so that we can actually get back to the boat. That's the next question. You know? Right. Okay. So that's, so the situation is there. They're not letting tourists in yet. Yeah. Right. Well, they haven't done since, uh, well, March last year, there was just yeah. a loophole with the business visa. If you had business and could sort of semi approve it, you could buy, pay a bit more and get a business visa. And that's what people were doing in uh, July, August, September, October, November, December, actually, all the way yeah, up until yeah. Christmas. But yeah. that's that loophole has been closed now. Right. Um, so yeah, we technically can't get back right now. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was something I was going to ask as well. It was like, what was what is the plan for the future or for the next season? So it's basically going to depend if Indonesia actually open up. I mean, surely they must do because it's getting yeah. to that point where. Yeah, everywhere's starting to open up to yeah. a certain extent yeah. now or like easing restrictions and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's all going in the right direction, right? Numbers are coming yeah. down, deaths, hospital rates, all that stuff. Like globally, it's all coming down and, and really quickly, you know, in the last three months, three weeks has been a drastic reduction. So, and Indonesia is one of those countries that it relies more heavily on tourism than other places. Um, mm. So, and also not just tourism, but also face-to-face business. They don't have the same... Uh, networking sort of availability that other countries have sort of thing you know so they do rely more on people coming in and out so i'm yeah i'm pretty confident that um we'll be able to get back in the next month i mean i yeah. can't leave until the middle of april anyway so hopefully yeah in a month or six weeks we yeah you've got that. a while left before yeah you've got a while left before that comes yeah. so um right just in terms of like future plans and stuff so you're both going to be heading back to the boat like let's say mid-april something like that mm um is murray going to learn how to sail the boat yeah i hope so yeah my so too. Yeah. like I, I learned some stuff yeah. already but yeah. yeah i think i'm gonna improve that for sure yeah. i would love so is, it, is it at the point yet where you can sail it and vernon can just like chill out and relax or are we not quite there yet uh if it's not like a tricky weather or and he already said some stuff because with the the mainsail i'm not really strong enough and really good for the moment but yeah like i do some what you say what? some watch like some, i, I some can watches. do some watch and oh, changing like some stuff, stuff on the boat so yeah. Mm, yeah yeah 
just getting there. Like I, it was sort of a, I don't know, we didn't really discuss it, but you know, I sailed solo, mostly I love sailing solo, you know, mm. um, I sailed all the way to Indonesia solo. And so it's not a problem for me in the beginning. I just, she was on board, but I basically sailed the boat solo. And at night I just did, you know, she stayed up sometimes or sometimes she didn't. And I just sailed solo. It was, it's all good. Like my boat set up for that. It was more like uh, when she felt comfortable or how much she wanted to learn. And now I'm sort of pushing her, but not, not much, just slowly. Like uh, she knows how to, to reef the, the head sail. You know, she doesn't wake me up nice. for that anymore. So if we get some puffs at night, she'll do that. I'll set up, you know, before, I mean, I always put a reef in the mainsail before when the sun goes down anyway. So that's normally yeah. enough. Or if it's, over 25 knots, I'll put a second reef in and just leave that in all night. And then she can let the head sail in and out, depending on how, you know, what we're doing. So she knows that. And, uh, you know, helming, she's pretty good at and anchoring and things like that. We're, you know, we're getting there. So um, yeah. there's no no mad rush. I mean, I, I love sailing the boat. It would be more if I had an accident or something, I guess. But she's capable of everything. It's very easy to sail. And she's probably watched enough now that, if she had to, she'd probably know it all. She probably could do everything. She just never really had to sort of thing. But, yeah. yeah. yeah but no, I thought that's super, super good that it let me this time because, yeah, at the beginning I was really feeling sometimes just scared, but sometimes sick too. And I mm -hmm. think if I was forced straight at the beginning, that was really a way to just repulse me and saying, okay, I'm going back. It's not my stuff. And because I didn't have this pressure this year, I'm feeling more interesting than learning and being independent on the boat for the yeah. next year. But yeah. I mean, I don't, but I mean, you're not like, you're probably not going to be like a super passionate sailor, sailor. No, but just being able to do stuff if yeah. I need, like I, I would like just yeah. feeling. No, it's like more definitely. Definitely, we try. You know, I'll put pressure on it every now and again, and just sort of bite-sized pieces. You know, yeah. when it's good conditions and things like that. And I mean, she's been through some rough stuff now and handled it pretty good. Like, she's been a bit seasick here and there, but not like to the point she's like, "Oh, get me off this boat," or "I hate this." She just sort of like quietly puts up with it, and she feels guilty that she can't help me out. And that's what I—that gives me a good feeling. She's not like hating me for putting her on a boat in bad weather she's getting guilty that she can't help me so that's a good sign right like yeah. um but it's, it's all good like if we sail like yeah i know you asked about the future i would like to sail over to new zealand in the near when you know in the next couple of years and that that can be a pretty rough passage and you know we'll discuss it then but i mean i'm fine if she flies over and i'll meet her there or if she wants to experience mm. it for me the experience is the you know the main thing right like i sort of don't wish that it's going to be rough but if it is it's sort of cool as well you know like yeah. whereas she knows that I sort of you know I'm not one that's going to wait for zero wind or like you know perfect conditions I'm going to sort of go oh it's only 25 I'll go sort of thing it can't what well, you know so I know that and so I'll you know sort of put her on a plane I guess if she doesn't want to put up with that sort of thing <laughs> I mean I hope she does want to sail over it's up to her totally up to her for sure so is that like a plan for within the next few years to uh, take the boat from where it is now and head to, over to New Zealand with it? Well, 
I mean, really, really loose plans. Um, I try not to make too much, too many plans. The original plan, I guess, when I left New Zealand was to go around the world. But mm. sort of, I've sort of backed off that a little bit. I would like to do that maybe one day. But maybe one day I'd like to do it solo nonstop just for fun, you know. But um, yeah. But for the challenge of it. But right now, sailing around the world is not really what I want to do because there's not like... Like going to Cocos and Chagos and Madagascar interests me, but after that, there's like I just want to be back in the Pacific, you know. Like the Mediterranean yeah. or the Caribbean don't interest me as uh, destinations to go. I'm sure the sailing's great, the wind's nice and everything, but I just, I just, I just don't really have much interest in being in an anchorage with 300 other boats and and 20 other YouTubers, you know. That just, mm. that's sort of not what I want to do like the solomon islands i was there for five months and didn't see a boat and that's what i want to do you know that's what i want yeah. to see and i sort of feel like with every passing year those cultures and that coral and those sort of things are just they're just dwindling away you know and i feel if i'm already sort of on the edge of the pacific i'd rather spend my time there and another plan i've been sort of turning over in my head is to sail up to japan spend a winter up there um, you know, mm -hmm. snowboarding, and then continue on up through Russia and across the Aleutians to Alaska, and then well, just basically a, route, a, a circuit of the Northern Pacific. You know, then back down to Mexico and Hawaii and French Polynesia. That that could be cool, but yeah, that'd be a hell of a yeah. I would, I would love to sail to New Zealand for sure because I grew up there and um, you know on the beach and it, yeah, there's just amazing stuff to see in New Zealand with a sailboat. You know, it's incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just because you mentioned like the reefs coral and... reefs um like the the locations where you are now the, in, in terms of like the coral reefs there they're probably th there's not much foot traffic there's not that many people snorkeling around there's not going to be that many scuba divers whereas like somewhere in the caribbean not so much the mediterranean but well yeah maybe like towards egypt that type of thing um can you can you see damage to corals there oh, and can you yeah it really it's blatantly oh, obvious but not from the tourism it's from the low from the fishermen you know it's like, oh right okay just, what about like yeah. coral bleaching and stuff like that no not so much um, okay no you, it's a tiny bit yeah. but not really enough to say it was because of a changement of climate or yeah. something it was more right some parts yeah. in, in australia there was coral bleaching obviously up the uh up the east coast very right? yeah, yeah. there's coral bleaching the two years that i was there there was a couple of bleaching moments but um no a lot of the a lot of the places especially along what was it where was it uh around komodo sadly like out komodo, of the komodo park yeah some of the really mm. well-known places you just the, the the little dive locations are beautiful and everyone gets their photos and their film there but then you go 300 meters either way from that and it's uh you know, they've just been bombing, they're fish bombing there for the last 20 years or since the war or whatever. And it's just mm. uh, it, a lot of places, coral is just completely just rubble, you know, it's like gravel on the bottom. There is incredible yeah. coral around wherever you go. We didn't really ever have a place. We could always find good coral, but you do see a lot of damage for sure. And that is mostly just through people trashing the reefs rather than like bleaching or anything. Oh, yeah, no, just, just from bombing, yeah. Bombing and... Um, yeah, and that's not really anchoring. I mean, they, they, I mean, the local fishermen, they have a rock tied to a rope and that's their anchor. So they don't stay there mm. overnight or something. It's not like they have cha anchor chains destroying anything. 
it's it's really bombing it's not environmental it's really human straight up human yeah is there is there any like coral farming going on in indonesia where they're actively trying to replenish the reefs or is there not much like that there it's a few places um and yeah. lombok Gilead, there's a you know you it's swim a around place yeah, yeah. But, not yeah. Really. but it's more it's I get the feeling, I mean, it's for sure if maybe an NGO came and did it once or something like that. But for me, I get the feeling it's more that a, a dive resort or a dive school will put down a couple right. to then be able to take their customers and show them that they're doing something, but it's not really, mm. you know, it's like two square meters of two yeah, it's, not on the scale it's, it's not like going to change anything, but I think it's sort of like, the, the tourists can go and take a photo on Instagram. Look, look, this dive school is trying to make a change. And you're like, well, yeah, good on you, sort of thing. But it's not really going to change. <laughs> yeah, it's not doing much. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not bagging on it. It's good, but it's like I haven't seen any industrial size yet that I feel, wow, this is a good step. Like this is really going to change things. I haven't seen anything like that now. No, it's probably no, like the uh, the rainforest burning down in Brazil, and then they build the park to like replenish those trees that have burned down. Keep a token that. few trees to remember yeah, the forest yeah. by. Yeah. No, but yeah, I was saying, like, I was quite surprised. Anyway, like, along Flores, we saw some places they were really bombed, but crazy bombed. And it was probably bombed oh, years yeah. before, something mm. like that, because in your book, because we have a book with sometimes just describing place you can uncrate, and they were saying like don't go snorkeling this is everything is destroyed and the book has yeah 10 or 15. no not even no not even seven to ten years that was quite yeah. a new uh, edition i have and when we yeah. went there yeah. it was all growing back yeah. small yeah. but all oh, growing no. back so no, that's it, quite crazy to see it grows quite uh it grows back quite quick especially if it starts off yeah. you can see the soft corals coming back you know the soft yeah, corals come back quick. a lot faster yeah um you know i really think that the planet earth is going to you know obviously you know there's going to be a lot less species than would be if you know if we hadn't have messed it up but planet earth if we went away planet earth would do fine without us we they don't it doesn't need us to build more corals it will come back fine it's just that yeah. we're destroying it faster than it can come back yeah yeah but, you know there's a really interesting um documentary I, I, I can't remember which channel it's on but it's like what would happen to the earth if people just disappeared and yes. it's i think it's on like history channel or national geographic and then so the idea is they'll do one episode on skyscrapers it would be like what would happen to the skyscrapers and then it shows you like one year in 10 years in mm -hmm. 20 years in 100 years in, then a thousand years in and then there's just no skyscraper it's just like a tropical rainforest now and they yeah. go they do that through like so many different things and uh, yeah, yeah. Coral, there was there was one episode on coral reefs. It was like, what would happen to the coral reefs in such a location? Then it basically talks you through it, and it's like, yeah, like five hundred years later, they would be nicer than we've ever seen them. Ah, totally. people just disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, we are the problem. And I mean, especially in Indonesia, like how they live in simple huts and things like that, that would be gone in five years. You wouldn't probably even see a village anymore, you know? Like, yeah. they don't really even have much concrete in most of those fishing villages. Mm. You know, you give it 10 years and everything mm. would be overgrown and rotted and just back to normal. It would be fine. Now, humans yeah. have a pretty pretty um, false understanding of how important we are on this planet, I think. Like, 
the world doesn't need us to fix it. <laughs> well, in, in the universe as well, really. <laughs> I, I have like some funny conversations sometimes. I, uh, I'm really into astronomy. So uh, me and my wife, like we look up at the sky and when you sail, it's great to just look up at the stars and just like contemplate how insignificant you are in a way, yeah. <laughs> like miserable things to think about. But you look out there and you're like, are we really the most special, impressive thing that exists amongst <laughs> yeah. all this? You're like, mm, probably not, you know, <laughs> probably yeah. not. Yeah. 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 Thinking about the bigger things, I, I suppose. Um, yeah. Right, cool. Well, so just with regards to like cruising around Indonesia and like some of the other places you've been to, maintenance on a boat can be pretty difficult in any normal location like if you're in a specific town or you know you're on an island that you've got access to even like a few chandleries it can be difficult to get parts sometimes if you need like a certain cutlass bearing or a certain anode what what do you have to do to prepare for cruising in these places where you go where there is literally nothing and even getting stuff shipped in can be a bit of a problem like do you just have to pack a spare everything before you head out well yeah, te technically that would be a good a good uh, idea because shipping stuff in Indonesia is just <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah. shipping stuff to Indonesia is just a nightmare. I mean, it's not yeah, even yeah. worth it. Like, and if you're talking about things like anchors or new anchor chain or something, it's it's you know it's gonna it's so heavy it's not worth it anyway. But then mm. you know the customs taxes and all that sort of stuff in Indonesia is so so incredibly sort of ripped off. You know, like mm. it's not worth it. But um, well, I ignorance was a bit bliss for me you know like I didn't really know when I left Australia I took a spare autopilot and uh I mean I was lucky my boat was pretty new yeah. um and it was I did the important things like a rig standing rigging I got the sails took the sails off and got them all like they were fine but I got them all like checked and new sun sun new sacrificials put on and uh yeah, new anchor chain because it was only only had 30 meters or something so i put an extra I put, put a 60 meter on and um got a new dinghy and new out oh not a new outboard a new dinghy and then new solar panels new electronics basically ais and things like that new batteries yeah. but the rest of it was all all good and then i yeah took a spare autopilot and um yeah a few other spares that i sort of thought will come in handy but i really wasn't knowledgeable like it's you know since since I left three years ago, I haven't haven't seen a single chandlery. There isn't hasn't been one single chandlery, like literally. Mm. And the first year, I didn't see a single marina or a single place where I could buy anything useful. Like really, yeah. like nothing that you could just like plug and play or clip on. It would be all right. I'm going to buy this, and then I'm going to take it to this other guy, and he's going to grind it a bit, and then I'm going to take this other guy, and he's going to weld it a bit. And you can't buy like anything above three zero four. I think it is stainless steel. Like if you can find it's that, you're stoked. So you, and same with screws and nuts and bolts and washers. No stainless steel that you can use. Um, luckily, I took a big box of stuff like that and hose clamps and good stuff like that. And I took a. Um, I haven't had any problem finding fuel filters and oil filters. Um, so that's I just general diesel engine stuff. Yeah, it's basically Volvo parts fit yeah, yeah, yeah. part. You know, it's always the same stuff. I took a bunch of impellers with me, and but that hasn't really. I think I could have found them. Um, yeah, anything like if you, I don't know, lose your anchor, or your anchor chain is even worse because it's got to fit your gypsy right on your windlass. Yeah. You can't like in Indonesia. You can't buy 
good quality galvanized chain that will fit your gypsy. It's like literally impossible. Yeah. Um, an anchor, well, yeah, you're not going to find a really good one. You're going to find some sort of old Danforth probably, you know. Yeah. Um, and then solar panels, Victron charging gear, all that sort of stuff. No, you can you can order it in, but it's going to cost you double what it would anywhere else, and it'll take three months to get there. Yeah. And then Solomon Islands and places like that, you just can't even do that, you know. Um, yeah. What is sort of cool is you do because they make do. You do get like genius machine work guys, and uh, you get guys that can really make stuff and fix stuff and take stuff apart and. You just have to supervise them. I mean, it doesn't cost much at all. They're very cheap. But, yeah, maintenance, it's a nightmare. Like, that's another thing. If I'd have come with my old boat, I would have hated life, you know. Like, I, yeah. even in Australia, I would sail three days, and then I'd have to spend three days fixing things. You know, it was this 40-year-old boat, and just – and it was, you know, it was an old boat. It had a lot of varnished wood on it. I would have been spending most of my time sanding and varnishing in the – you know, up in the equator where I am now. So yeah. like my boats that I have now is perfect. It's the other thing is it's very, very simple. If you come with the full on, I don't know, a lagoon or a Beneteau that's got like three three bathrooms and, and two showers and you know, all these pumps and hot waters things and uh I don't know, hot pressure water and every every tap and all that sort of stuff. It's just all that sort of stuff just craps out fast yeah. you know and and my boat doesn't have any of that i've got uh i've got one pressure i've got salt water on on electric tap you know electric salt water pump for the bathroom uh, for the galley and and i've got a fridge and freezer I, I don't know, i've got everything i need but it's just very simple i don't have more than i need you know so the chances of something breaking are just reduced so yeah i've been pretty yeah. lucky um i bought a new outboard because my uh, my old outboard crapped out Oh, I got sick of fixing it. Get sick of looking for parts. I ordered a new one, so that was the only thing in three years really that I've had to. Oh, yeah, pretty things. lucky in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's funny because yeah, if, if but you I've met a somebody... lot of people, I've met a lot of sailors that are just sitting around, just going like, "Ah, oh, what am I going to do now?" Like one guy's been searching for a dinghy for four months. You can't find a dinghy in Indonesia. You can't find a rib or you know an inflatable dinghy. Well, he's had three, he's on his third one now, and they only last about a week, and then they just shitty go down pop whatever yeah. other guy was he put three anchor chain welded three different anchor chains together to, to get enough because anchor anchorages are really deep in indonesia you know like yeah you're really happy if you're 20 meters you know you're really happy if you find a 20 meter anchor. So, <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> yeah so you need like 60 meters of chain as a minimum yeah, you know mm-hmm. and um so yeah if you know he's here he welded three different sorts of chain together and only half of them go through as gypsy the rest of it he's got to pull up by hand you know it's like nightmare <laughs> Yeah, it's just a completely different way of thinking. Like, it, it would be funny if you said to somebody, oh, let's go on a road trip where it's like, well, let's just drive straight across Africa and we're not going to see like a service station for four years. You'd be like, that's irresponsible. Why would you do yeah. that? You know? yeah. <laughs> or yeah. if so, take a spare engine for the car type of thing. So, yeah. 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 yeah, just like maintaining and, and thinking about, uh, you know, what happens if this breaks or this breaks. But you've got a perfect boat for it in a way. I mean... You know, it's like the fancy cars now that run on computers rather than, you know, running on mechanics and engines. When when they break, yeah. everything stops working. Um, yeah. We've got uh, like a BMW 4x4. And when the battery runs out, the windows don't work. Um, 
you know, like everything just starts shutting down or, you know, like you'll go to um, wash the uh, wash the windows and it's like, oh, that's not working. Or you'll turn yeah. the indicator and, you know, the window will start going up and down. You know, what's going on here? It's like, it's because the battery is yeah. well, so engineered. I sort of set my boat. It was already set up that way a little bit, but I, I with the electronics, for example, I, I sort of did that on purpose to, you know, like Raymarine or B&G or whoever it is, will try and lock you into their system by selling you a, like the backbone, whatever system that they own, right? And everything yeah. links in and, or you've got like Bluetooth and you can check it on your iPad while you're in bed and all this sort of stuff. And it sounds great, but I never liked that idea because, um, you know, you get hit by lightning and you've, you've got nothing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've got a little chart plotter in the cockpit that has its own GPS unit and it just has a power. And if I see lightning around, I'll just pull the cable out of the back of it and hopefully that'll be good. And it's not connected to anything else. And the same as same goes with my autopilot. It's just, it's not connected to the chart plotter or anything else. It's just a separate unit. And um, I, I don't know, I haven't had to really do that yet, but I sort of feel like, like you said, you know, your BMW, everything's connected and most people's boats are everything is all on one big wiring loop and yeah. it sort of makes it cool. But at the same time, it locks you into that one system too, whereas I can sort of just add bits and pieces to mine um, mm. as I need to. But that was sort of a, a conscious decision to, to keep things simple in that way. And um, the other thing was, I just don't really like fixing things, you know, so the more things you have, the more stuff that can break down. Mm. And um, yeah, I don't know, you just see people in, in a marina for a month waiting for a refrigerator part to arrive or for a hot water system. I'm like, we struggle to be cold enough ever, you know? Like yeah. the last thing we need is a hot water system, you know? Especially if it means we can't sail for a month because we're waiting for a part. And I just feel sorry for people. Like, obviously, yeah. if you live in Alaska or somewhere on your boat, it's a necessity. But where we are, like the last thing I'd want is to wait around for a month for a hot water system to arrive or something, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's necessary where, given the location of any boat. <laughs> no. not really. the, other, the other good thing with, I think that also saves a lot of maintenance is we, we don't motor very often. You know, my boat's in light air and upwind. Yeah. It sails so good, you know, we sail pretty much everywhere. Um, so, you know, I, I ordered a new mainsail and, and finally got a boom, a stack pack. Um, that's, that's waiting for us back there now. Um but apart from that, uh, everything's everything's good. We don't really use the engine much. I've only put in three soup, you know, three years I've had the boat, three and a half years. I've only put, uh, I think, 600 hours on it. And that's, you know, going from... That's crazy considering how far you've actually travelled. That's, yeah, how far I've gone, how many, like, we're, yeah, not, well. we're not staying in anchorages for months at a time either. We're, like, constantly on the move sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's pretty pretty good, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really good so like given, given you you work in the seasons um and that's kind of what funds uh, the life of traveling around the world on the boat um because you have like the patreon set up and you're doing more stuff on youtube now if you could get to the point where you could just travel full time would you do that or do you like being able to take six months off and actually go and do something different and do the work well i sort of feel like i appreciate both parts of my life quite quite a lot you know like uh, yeah. towards the end of the sailing season I'm really looking forward to going back to Europe for 
for work and seeing friends and going i love snowboarding you know i love being in the mountains it's it's awesome and then all the all the luxury items that we don't get on the boat like you know like good bread and cheese and cordon bleu and ice cream and and being able to get a good coffee like you know there's, there's there is a luxury about being Some in basic the West. Stuff. You know, yeah you can yeah, yeah, yeah. in like order a by SM by freaking whatsapp a, a awesome meal and it just arrives at your house you can't yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, yeah. can't get uber eats when you're out there no. in indonesia but then on the <laughs> other side like at this time of the year i'm i'm like can't wait to get back to the boat you know just like the thought of waking up at six and going for a stand-up paddle and then snorkeling with some turtles and then hooning around in the boat for a couple of days like it's it's amazing i can't wait to get back you know so sort of sort of good but i'm definitely every sort of passing year maybe more the balance is shifting more to the boat and away from the mountains you know Um, yeah but that's because you've been doing um, you've been doing your current job for quite a while and yeah yeah I think it's natural to get fed up with work the older you get as well i yeah. like I, I dislike it more every day i do it so <laughs> makes oh, for sense. sure and uh physically it's getting harder to to do it for me you know um, yeah, yeah. i have to i have to ride the same mountains that the the professionals do that i'm shooting you know it's not, mm. i have to be in the same place i have to hike for four hours to get to that location and, and carrying a heavy backpack and you know i've had three acl reconstructions and you know, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be 47 this year and I'm shooting, you know, 20 year old, 18 year olds, 20 year olds. So it is getting harder to keep up and I'm, I'm, I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still love it. And the challenge is there for me to keep pushing myself and keep training to sort of do that. Um, had a scare this year with an avalanche. A friend got buried that I was, uh, that sort of shook me up for a little while. That made me feel like, yeah, do I really want to be responsible for these sort of things, you know, like, mm. Uh, and um, also just naturally as the YouTube channel and the patron is getting more where it's sustainable that we can actually be on the boat, the possibility is there to keep putting out videos and, and probably in some parts of the world, we we couldn't afford to do it on what our income from YouTube is, but where we are now and in most of the places I want to visit, you know, yeah, where there possible. are no marinas and and chandleries and things to spend money on well then it's going to be fine and it is growing and i like my you know we've got a, such an amazing sort of passionate following now you know like um it's incredible like uh, you said you just the last video but there has actually been another one out since that uh that burial video okay. was a couple of days ago and and the, the response I got to that one sort of reinforced how incredible our, our following is, you know, like. Uh, oh, this was the interview incredible. you did with the uh, the old yeah. school sailor. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. The amount of um, the amount of support that all the viewers have put through into PayPal, because I'm giving all the proceeds from that video and everything to Joachim, you know, the, yeah. Yeah, the old guy that we met and. Uh, the amount of money that came in just within a within the first twelve hours was just like whew, this is this is how sort of supportive and 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 uh, amazing our our followers are you know so that that yeah. was really cool and um, it's a good good feeling that we can help someone else out and and that our our community I guess you would call it now yeah. it's actually we've got some power there we can actually do good if we come across a. A, a rad charity or, or something we can actually call out to all these people that really like and are passionate about what we're doing and 
that will like help us to help somebody else, you know, which is incredible. It's a great feeling. Yeah. And there's nothing more like uh, that I want to do really, you know, by making videos and, and it's not just about us using Patreon money to maybe in three years buy a better boat or something that doesn't bother me. I've got the perfect boat for us to be able to go around and, and um, help out a school or get some kid, you know, like, you know, we can do cool stuff now, you know, and it's, it's amazing. I yeah. love it. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, like if you just think back like over the last like hour, like the type of things you spoke about, like the guy who you, who you met and you're going to, so you're like remastering his, videos from the 70s is that what you're intending to do with it or was it or did you um, want to like subtitle not remaster them they're all they're all there we're just okay. we're just uh editing them a little bit and putting making a new What's uh, happening? uh making it yeah, putting the other in. oh no no you're good um they were just they had just got played on um german tv yeah in the 1984 i think and, you know, the German TV put an intro and introduced, and so we're cutting that off because it was, like, from the 80s, you know, all dressed up yeah. funny and talking in German. So we're cutting that off, and we're doing an intro. Nice. And some other bits and bits and pieces to personalise it because it's going on our channel. But yeah. um, basically, it just hasn't been seen by anybody outside of Germany, and even in Germany yeah, yeah, since 1984. Yeah. yeah, and all of these places they visited, they've changed so much, and we'll never see that again. Yeah. You know? Like, it's a historical it's very valuable i feel you know that was my motivation to show it you know you've got cultures that they're showing that don't exist anymore and never will again you know so it's uh i mean it's very rare to, to be able to yeah, yeah i mean it's very rare to be able to like showcase a documentary now that was filmed in the 1980s or probably a little bit earlier 70s um, yeah yeah 1970s and pe people have never seen it i mean it's like you say i mean germany i mean it depends which part of germany but germany in the 1980s in some parts you know you couldn't even go or may maybe half of germany didn't yeah. even get the opportunity to see that yeah. from when it is like, no, that's that's it. half of the germany hasn't seen it yeah. yeah 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 no it is it's incredible and uh i'm really honored that he sort of uh i mean that he agreed when i asked him well could we do this? And he was like, yeah, I think you're the right man to do this. And, mm. and I, even up until last Sunday, when I put the interview out, you know, I put some of the footage in there as sort of a teaser as what we're going to do. Yeah. And I was sort of skeptical that anyone would watch it or if people were interested in, in that, but the, it didn't get, a, it didn't get crazy amounts of views. Like, you know, Marie walking in a bikini on the beach is always going to get more views. But <laughs> But it got double the comments and double the likes and 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 the support that's came in from it is crazy. So people who did watch it are super, super into it. And most yeah. of the comments were, I can't wait to get into this series. And, you know, so yeah, yeah. the next 13 weeks, probably not going to grow my channel as in get a lot of new subscribers or earn a lot of ad revenue. But the people who do watch it are going to be super, super stoked on it and uh and really get something meaningful back from all this footage and the, the journey that they did, you know, 40 years ago. And that's, that's incredible for, for us. And the cool thing is for us, we didn't have any more footage either. We've, we've got a break now until we get back. So it just like mm. dovetailed perfectly. Yeah, it fits in really well. Yeah, I just think it's going to be really interesting because when it, when it popped on and I watched it, I was just like, my God, this, this guy was like the pioneer of YouTube sailing you know like in, in the 1970s and well, he had no idea yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> before the internet and was i mean he'd life. never done it before you know and that that was what drew us together actually was you know we're 40 nearly 40 years difference in age but 
mm. you know, I've, my channel is learning by doing, and I've always done that all my life, but he obviously did too. He, he'd never sailed across an ocean or sailed on an ocean. Mm. And yet he built this boat, took his family and then just set off. And they didn't set off to the Caribbean, which most people do from Europe. They went over straight to uh, Newfoundland, you know, which is yeah. a crazy route to take. And it's not like the safest route or the best weather or anything like that. And like, and um, yeah, and he's, he's, he's led his whole life like that, you know, and that's why he needed a bit of support now because he, um, you know, he's lived his whole life in that way and sort of, I guess, believed he was maybe bulletproof. And then he's 83 and had to spend some time in hospital. So, he's, uh, you know, sort of... yeah, well, he's in good shape. I don't think I've ever seen anyone of that age, like climb themselves up a, a set of bamboo ladders so quick. Like he just oh, shot no, straight he's in... up. Them. <laughs> he's in amazing yeah. shape. And, oh no, he's in better shape than that. He was, he, just after we shot that, he, he had a, a hernia in his belly. So his belly was actually quite big in that, but from the hernia, you know, hmm. I mean, he's a lot more fit now. He goes down, he wakes up early in the morning and swims at like half a kilometer in the ocean every morning and does stretching and he's incredible shape. And, and like here too, you know, yeah. Yeah. he doesn't forget Crazy things. He, he remembers everything and he's for a guy who's done as much as what struck me and what it's like a, I don't know, I idolize or it's a mentor in a way that if I can be like that one day to have done as much as he's done and have a, have a legit reason to be sort of like, <laughs> you know, yeah, he's not at all. He's really like super humble and really sees what, when somebody else does something good, he praises and goes, Oh, you're doing, you know, he's, he's really quick to give advice, but good advice. Not like, Oh, I did it that way sort of thing. Like, like he's a really incredible man, and it uh, was it gave, gives me a sort of a goal in it. Like oh, if I can end up some half of that, I'll be happy, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, really, really, really good bloke. Yeah. I mean, if you've spent the majority of your life just like meeting people on remote islands and uh, you know experiencing like deep culture, uh, take away you know Facebook and the BBC and all the other things that just distract you from what's actually important, which is the people around you. Basically, you'd, you'd be a pretty rich person emotionally you know spiritually you'd be you'd be quite well, rich i've met a few other guys that have done similar things to him but they're pretty socially inept now yeah. you know in a way and not interested and uh don't keep up with world events don't really care what the youth are doing things like that they're just hermits in a way like old salties on their boat you know whereas knocking mm is an old salty but he's very up to date he's got an ipad he watches things he listens to podcasts he knows how to copy and paste he's you know he's he's appreciative of what young people do as well it's not just like oh back when i was young you know he's he's yeah. incredible guy he's really well balanced and all around it like really great guy yeah that's really cool so when are you starting to um work on these and release them well we worked on well on sunday this coming sunday is the first one coming out Right. We've been working on them down here together, um, doing, you know, logos and intros and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, the first one comes out on Sunday. The first one is uh, just them sort of deciding, you know, selling the house, packing up, building the boat. Mm. They don't set off in the first episode, but it's a lot of um, sort of introduction basically to the family. And, you know, the kids are sort of talking about what they're going to miss 
uh, what they think they're going to miss and things like that. But obviously they don't know because they've never done it, you know, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit of a sort of a soft takeoff. It's not just straight into the action. And uh, I think people were going to, um, I sort of feel like, oh, I hope people don't get bored with the first one, but I, I don't think they will. I think it's a good introduction um, yeah. to, to, to what's coming up, you know. Uh, uh, what format that's gonna be worth sticking, you got it's gonna be worth sticking through huh what format have you got these on were, were these like on vhs tape or were they no they digital? uh well no well they were all shot on 16 mil okay. um and then it turns out that well Joachim's four kids that um you know were on the trip they all turned out to be and this was a big question after the last week's video oh what happened to the family and all that and we mm. will reveal that we're planning on doing a live uh, video chat with Joachim when we get back to to Lombok and he'll sort of answer nice. a lot of these questions. But basically, his, the family all just turned out to be incredible. You know, one's living in Brazil, one's living in Tuscany, one's living New Zealand. New Zealand. Wow. Uh, no, the other one, Argentina. And, the, you know, the oldest mm -hmm. boy, he turned out to be um, a pretty famous documentary filmmaker. And he's okay. filmed stuff all over the world, incredible stuff in Alaska and, and uh, really, really amazing stuff. And he lives in Brazil. And he he had um, digitalized all this original film reels. Right. I don't know, decades ago, possibly, you know, I guess he probably had a time in a studio when he was, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but when he was making, you know, editing a film of his, he maybe had access to a studio and just like, well, I'm going to digitalize everything. So we got everything Digital. We got basically the finished episodes all digital. So mm. um, yeah, we didn't have to do anything in that point. That's really good. And what what are you gonna are you gonna call it? Uh, learned by doing instead of learning because <laughs> <Learned by> <laughs> he did. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's called the family that dead. That's what we've called it. Oh, nice. Right. Okay. It's it's all in German, right? It's going to be subtitles because oh, yeah. um, it's all narrated by Joachim in German. And yeah, that's kids. the yeah. bigger work for us. Yeah, it's that's the, the subtitles. Yeah. Right. Could, but he can he can speak English. I mean, he spoke some pretty decent English when you were uh, interviewing yeah. him. Could you yeah, not yeah. get him to like re or could you not get him to dub himself basically or like uh, do a voiceover well, we, from his own voice? We we could, but. That's quite a lot of work. But in for him, a way, it, it's it's gonna lost a little bit the emotion because you really recorded that the moment he was preparing yeah, that's the true. traveling yeah. things, and it, there's a lot of things even in the voice. Even if I'm not it's, speaking it's, German, it's 40 I can years too. feel it. Yeah, it's forty years difference too, in terms of yeah, yeah, the way you'd speak about the experience things. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the way you'd speak about those experiences now would be pretty different, like looking yeah. back on them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I mean the, back then he. Back then, his wife—I mean, his wife was French. I mean, they—they they were bilingual, but I guess his English wasn't very good, and it was just made for German TV, so there was no reason to do it in English back then. It wasn't the—the the, you know the global sort of media that we have these days, where you sort of have to do things in English if you want to get seen on YouTube. Whereas back then, it was like, well, the German TV are paying him, so he'll do it in German. So it was never a question to do it in English. But yeah. I, I think it'll be fine. He. Um, he narrated it really, really well. Um, it should should be good. Um, it's very, very well filmed for a guy that hadn't really filmed much before. You know, yeah. he had a real serious talent uh, for filmmaking. You can see that. You'll see it's very, very well filmed. You would 
think he did have a professional film crew on two or three of the trips, like a German TV crew flew into Galapagos and I'm not sure, one or two other places. Uh, and so, you, you know, you, you sort of can see the quality doesn't go up. Like his filmmaking was incredible, but the only difference you see is that you see him in those episodes because the rest of the time he's behind the <laughs> okay. camera, you know? So, right. yeah. But you can sort of see by that that he was an incredible filmmaker because the quality didn't really change when they had the professional film crew. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, cool. no, I hope I hope people will... Um, I mean, I'm fully aware YouTube's not going to share this around because it's not really, um, you know, it's not what's making them ad revenue. They're not really going to share it. But I'm hoping that people who really watch it will share it amongst themselves and it might get a little bit of a cult following that, you know, it's going to stay on YouTube now, you know, and maybe over the years people will just keep finding it and watching the whole series. And at least for me, at least those historical things are now online for people to see, you know. Well, they will be yeah. in another couple of days. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what's so interesting about it because it's like doing documentary making now like uh, amateur documentary making where you know you're doing what you guys are doing where you're traveling around the world to like remote places that's that's really interesting um a lot of people can go to those locations now and and shoot that type of imagery and put it online but like to be able to take something from so long ago and like reimagine it get it on the internet now um <coughs> that's never been seen before that's it's super cool it's good I, I think like the old school sailors and even like new school sailors i haven't been doing it that long compared to that guy you know like i when i watched it i was like this is going to be really interesting to watch even just to see like how how a family interact um on a boat that's so old in an era where yeah. you have no communication um and boats were different you know yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean it's just gonna be really 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 interesting to watch yeah well you know in 45 years it's going to be the same thing with our stuff right no. Yeah, could be. We're 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 really interested in the um the Virgin Galactic uh space yeah. tourism stuff. Have you seen no. this? <laughs> no, not really, no. I mean oh, I'm aware okay. of what's going on with all that, yeah, but I don't know how far along they are. Uh they're pretty far. I mean they're the they're doing it now, basically. I think like within the, I think May they're sending the first one up. Oh wow. Um no. and uh yeah, so Richard Brunson owns it and uh, he in I think it's June or something like that. He's going to be the first official tourist uh, okay. to go into space. So nice. I don't know. I don't know how much tickets are. Might not be very affordable. Uh, for now, I've know. seen a few things like that where some Japanese billionaires paying for seven of his mates to go up. Or yeah, yeah, this type um, of stuff. I also saw that they're going to start possibly building a space hotel in 2025 or something, like pretty yeah. close future as well. I saw something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I personally. I mean, I've, the more I travel, the more I see, the more I realize that even in 10 lifetimes, you're not going to discover everything that's on earth. So, like, yeah. And like, I, I don't know, the, the year, the days and the weeks and the years are flying by for me. I'm sort of, I'm nearly under pressure myself to not slow down because I sort of feel like, oh, there's so much more to see. There's so much more to see. Yeah. Um, what would you what would you both like to do? I mean, let, let's say, for example, um, you can and you both have the opportunity to like sail and travel uh, full time. And that's what you actually want to do. Like Vernon, you like um, remote places. That's why you really enjoy the Pacific. Um, Marie, is that the type of thing that you'd like to do as well? Or do you want to like see the Caribbean or the, you know, the east coast of America? Like, where, where would you like to go? On a boat? No, no, no. 
Yeah, I think I quite like also the remote places. Yeah. It's more my kind too. Yeah. I'm not really interested by places full of people and things I already know. Like when yeah. I say I've never been there also, but just I can imagine I have already pictures of what it is. And mm. I'm probably wrong on some stuff, but I think I can already know a lot. But I prefer in general discovering and even about nature, like I really like in general to be far from people and full on in nature. So Yeah. I think it's interesting to see places that just haven't been spoiled yet as well. Um, you know, it's like when you yeah. go around the Mediterranean, it's amazing. But like, you know, if, if you want to go and see the Acropolis in Athens, it's great. But, you know, a minute walk and there's 500 Airbnbs. Um, yeah. Or, you know, if you want to go and see the Colosseum in, in Italy, it's gorgeous. But around the corner, there's a supermarket, you know, <laughs> so it's yeah. like you can see these amazing things we have to offer. Um, but yeah. there's, there's so much around them now. They're not. You know they're not the way they were originally intended whereas like yeah i suppose if you spend time in the places where where your boat is now you you just see them raw earth really you know it's yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, been interrupted exactly. it's not been changed yeah i mean obviously mm. we're not the first to go anywhere anymore there is mm. not really possible anymore right that was even in joachim's time he wasn't the first to go anywhere but i like the feeling when i go somewhere I like to dream that I am the first. Mm. Um, you know, lots of places we've visited, you don't really see any signs of, well, at least tourists, like you might see some locals, but even some places you don't really see any signs of anything. And I love that, that feeling. And a lot of people ask me in my videos, oh, can, you, can you put maps on or can you give the GPS coordinates of where you are? And I'm just like, no, I don't want to do, I don't do that on purpose because I like the feeling of finding something by mistake and it's amazing or just yeah. hearing from somebody that there's something cool there and going and discovering it myself. I'm not the first, but for me, I'm discovering it myself and I want possibly other people to follow behind and maybe have seen, wow, that looked amazing. And I know it was somewhere in Indonesia, but you know, and to go there and discover it for themselves and have that feeling. Whereas yeah. if I watch, I don't know, I've probably seen 10 different sailing channels go to Karyaku this year and St. Bath and where the hell ever. And I've got the feeling I don't need to go to Karyaku because I've seen it from six different angles this year alone from yeah, people who point. filmed it pretty well. And if I go there, I'll be like, oh, I know there's a really cool ice cream shop just there. And I know that <laughs> you should anchor a bit further off. And to me, that's sort of half the enjoyment is is not knowing all that stuff, you know? Like, I don't yeah. really use guides too much. Like, now we're in Lombok a bit more. We're using Instagram a little bit more to, like, find, like, hot spots. But then, again, I don't really like going to places where I know if you click on Instagram and go hashtag that, the three million pictures will come up. I'm just like, well, mm. it's not really that interesting for me to go there anymore. It's I've seen it from every possible angle. If I see it with my own eyes, yeah, I guess it's cool, but it's not as cool as going somewhere where no Instagrammers have been. <laughs> no, but yeah. we were trying to using especially Instagram when we saw the local were going yeah. there and there were just pictures of local people who are showing a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We're using it for that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah I, mean, I suppose it's, it's better than the typical thing. Like you log onto Instagram and it's just like, oh, like 2,000 people have shown me what the sandwich looks like from this restaurant. So yeah. <laughs> not much yeah. need to try it. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not dissing anybody's, like I understand that the, 
the you know the vibe and a lot of people go sailing for the social aspect right and a lot of people maybe aren't confident sailors and so they want to know that there will be people around if they need help or a lot of people sail with buddy boat like three four buddy boats I mean, I'm not the person who would join a rally, but uh, there's a lot of people that would join rallies. And I'm, I'm not against any of that. And I'm not trying to Disney what I'm saying. I'm just saying for our, for what we want to do, we rather go somewhere where there aren't other boats. Yeah. I mean, but but we love it when we do come into an anchorage. Like we got to Lombok and there was three or four other boats in one place. We were super stoked. We were, you know, going to have a fire on the beach and sit around and have beers with people. And that was amazing after a whole year of not having that. But I don't want that all the time. Like you have that a couple of times in your season, and it's like that's enough for me, sort of thing. But but then again, if we were on the boat the whole year, it would probably become more important to have a bit more social life. Because now in Europe, we have a bit of social life, you know. Yeah. Um, With COVID, yeah. not so much, but. But I sort of feel like this is just a period. You know, um, it might change. You know, who knows? In ten years, maybe we want to have a more relaxing way of sailing. Um, Probably in another six, seven years, I want to get a different boat, maybe one that's a bit more rugged. I'd quite like to go and sail down the coast of Chile, for example, and go in all the fjords and 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 uh, maybe Northwest Passage. Or I'd love to sail to uh, up the coast of Norway, Svalbard, Greenland, Iceland, yeah. those sort of places. I'd love to. I've visited those places a lot, snowboarding like in winter and stuff, and I'd love to sail. I've got friends everywhere in that part of the world. My boat's not really, you know, cut for that. Um, so who knows? You know, things can change. But right now we're sort of more keen on what we're doing. Yeah. So we'll probably yeah. turn around and head back east from where we are now. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Well, listen, thanks so much for your time. Um, it's been great, like, learning a bit more about those experiences that you've had in Indonesia. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to these, um, uh, to the videos coming out with uh with your old school sailing friend i'm really looking forward to that i think everyone else is as well um so just so we know on that people can donate to him on paypal yeah so yeah so what i did was i basically put my patron on my patron account on standby for the next three months i don't okay. feel it's sort of um fair to charge my patrons it's not really my work as such you know i feel mm. so what i've basically told everyone is that I'm not charging for Patreon, but if you like this stuff, then directly put money in my PayPal and then 100% of that goes to Joachim and getting him finished, you know, getting him first healthy again and then getting him to Thailand in his boat to finish his probably what will be his final circumnavigation yeah. of the world, you know. So, yeah, directly. Uh, but there's links all over the place in the description of my videos and all of the upcoming nice. videos for that. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So everybody can contribute and help him finish finish his journey as well yeah but it's pretty crazy right like um i was sort of discussing it today youtube brought in this new thing where we have to pay tax now for every american viewer you know which is pretty crazy but but then i was sort of thinking well i don't really want to pay tax in america i don't do anything in america but you know i've got twenty two thousand subscribers which is tiny compared to a lot of the big channels but imagine if every subscriber paid 50 cents per month and I said to YouTube, I'm not going to put ads on and I'm going to demonetize my channel. Mm. That's 11,000 bucks for me per month. 
but only 50 cents per person, it's like the crowd effect could be pretty amazing, right? Like, and that's, that's yeah. what Joachim's seeing now with getting getting some money towards getting him healthy again. You know, yeah. people put in, you know, two bucks and it's like, it's not much, but when a thousand people put two bucks in, it's quite a lot, you know? So that, that, that's what's cool with all this. You can You can get a school that hasn't had, you know, they've got 40 kids and one teacher and you can give them 2000 bucks and that can be like life-changing for all those kids sort of thing. You yeah, know? absolutely. That's like, you have a big group of people and people don't have to like change their lives. Like put in a hundred or a thousand bucks. It's like people can put in 50 cents or a dollar or something and it can really change things, which is, it's really, really cool to see. And that's what gives me sort of faith with having the growing sort of like really strong fans you know not just people coming along to see tits and ass or whatever you know like really yeah. passionate fans and, and they are willing to put some put some you know a little bit of cash in sometimes and that's super super cool yeah it's really good well i'll do that i'll uh, i'll be one to contribute to that so oh, watch those videos you're contributing by getting our story out there too mate that's amazing yeah. that's really cool thanks no, for doing good. it um it's uh i listen to a person i listen to a lot of podcasts when i'm sailing you know I like long podcasts too, you know, some, yeah. some of the ones I listen to are three, four hours long and I uh, just love it. I'll just put them on and uh, days sort of just fly by and I learn something and oh, it's incredible. It's cool what you do. I think it's great. Like one of, one of the most interesting things I think is like people like yourself, people who, you know, will go to like remote locations and travel the world is um, it's not, it's not the 10 minute video on YouTube where you're looking at a dolphin or a turtle. Um, it's the person who's doing that and it's, it is their journey. You know, what, what has made them who they are and what has given them the passion and the energy to like go somewhere where no one else goes and experience that. And then, you know, have that information to then teach it to other people as well. Um, so I, I think, you know, listening to the person talk is far more interesting than watching like a 10 minute video on YouTube. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, being able to like talk to you and find out, you know, how, how you, uh, you know, got where you are, what you do, how you fund it, um, what gave you the passion to do this type of thing. Like that is what inspires people to follow in that type of lifestyle themselves. Um, so yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, That's thank cool, you. If, if we can inspire a few people along the way, we're, we're stoked, you know, like we get a lot of emails about that. People, you know, really want to get into it, things like that. And um, I got a lot of uh, help and inspiration as I got into it, you know, and uh, uh I reply to every email and uh, I encourage people to, to write and if they have questions and things like that. And it's all, uh, the, the sailing community is amazing, you know, like mm. it's, you basically can get help whenever you just have to ask for it. And there's, there's help there. People love to help each other out. And that's great. I love it. It's a whole new um, sort of community and family that opened up to me when I started sailing and I was just, you know, like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good because it's like it's the it's a pretty unique hobby in that sense. Because I mean, if you take any other type of hobby, like I don't know, archery or snowboarding, you've got okay, what what do you do to fix a bow? What do you do to fix a snowboard? How do you do a trick? How do, how do you shoot a deer? It's pretty straightforward. You've you've got the hobby, you know how to do it. There's a limited yeah. amount of equipment, but when it comes to like sailing around the world, that's like there's you know there's years and years of information and knowledge there that you can absorb off people that you, that can help you which you don't experience with like bicycling you know no. or, or, or or something else because you're effectively like building a house and taking it around the planet yeah 
Um, yeah. So yeah, like being able to like rely on good people who've known you for a long time yeah. and it can give you advice on engines and pumps and sails and fiberglass yeah. repairs and that type of stuff, like completely invaluable. Yeah, and I find the ratio of of really kind and genuine, generous, uh, generous people is really really high from what I've mm. met so far. You know, like uh, obviously where we've been saying it's not like the bear boat, the charter boat sort of crew. We don't see that sort of people. It's more like yeah. ocean, like world cruisers, I guess. But, but you know, we've, you never have someone turn you down and say, no, I can't help you. You know, it's like, maybe I don't know, but I, I definitely try. Like, I just find it said uh, the ratio, you get good and bad people everywhere in life, right? But I find the ratio yeah. in the sailing community is quite on the high side for being really cool. Yeah, I mean, especially like people that travel so much as well. Like, it'll be rare for you to meet somebody who has, you know, also travelled, you know, like around Indonesia. They're in a remote location. They need a part, and somebody approaches them, be like, "Oh, can you help me?" And and they just have zero empathy. They're like, "No." Yeah, yeah. Like it'll be I mean, rare to meet there, that type of human. Yeah, if they'd have lived that way, they wouldn't have they'd got know. there in the first place. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, like they. Yeah, they'd know and. Yeah, it's great. Well, listen, it's been awesome. great listening to listening to your stories. Thank you very much, and we'll catch up again. Um, probably, yeah. I don't know, end of the year, something like that. When that'll be cool. Hopefully, yeah, Let's hopefully you're back in thing. Indonesia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Cool. we'll keep moving, right. and we'll have some new stories every year to tell you. Yeah, yeah. If you want to support the production of these podcasts, you can become a member of our community on Patreon, where you will be able to access extra content, interact with our guests, and become a part of the show.